Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So we're going to continue our our journey through the Gospel of Matthew today. So welcome to our 11 o'clock service. And for those of you that have been with us, you know that we're taking our time because the beginning of Matthew, we get some information from Matthew that we don't have from the other Gospels on the birth of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about the Magi. Uh, that they came from the area of Persia, old ancient Babylon. And today we're going to be talking about the, the gifts that the Magi bring. And the title of my message is Gifts for a King. Gifts for a King. And we're going to talk about the, the gifts, which you already know, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that because of all of the stories at Christmas time. But we're also going to have some time to talk about the application. And I want you to start thinking about it. What gifts do we bring? To Christ, what gifts do we bring to Christ? Again, chapter Matthew chapter two, beginning in verse nine, it says this. It says, "When they heard the king, this is Herod, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down." And worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. You know, this, this reading, I'm so glad we're doing this reading here in October rather than in December. This is where you usually hear this on Christmas Eve, right? You always hear it at Christmas time. But today we don't have the distractions of the tinsel and the light and the garland and the presents, and you don't have a, 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 a magi scene, a, a creche scene, or a nativity scene at home. Um, so we can talk about it more, a little bit more objectively. Um, you know, these, these magi followed a prophecy and a star, and they came to worship this newborn king of, of the Jews. You know, um, and this is, this is scripture, and that's why I want to spend some time in it. This is why we take our time going through these verses, because it's, it's scripture, it's holy writ. You know, the, uh, the apostle Paul, in writing to his beloved son, his disciple, um, his favorite was Timothy. And he wrote to Timothy, and he was telling Timothy to remember the holy scriptures that you remember from a child. Because he grew up in a, in a home where they taught the scriptures. And, and, and Paul says, I want you to remember those. But then he says this, interestingly. He says, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, <clears throat> that the man of God may be a complete, man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, when Paul was telling Timothy earlier about remembering the Holy Scriptures, he could have used that word Holy Scriptures here, but he didn't. He used a different word, the Scriptures. And scholars, most scholars don't agree on everything, but one of the things that they agree on is that Paul was talking about the things that he wrote, the things that Peter wrote, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we know as the New Testament. The New Testament is part of the Holy Scriptures, and we need to take our time when we go through it. When we read of the, uh, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we need to, to pause for just a moment and think about those gifts. You know, we can review from memory um, 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but the scriptures, if you look at them, they never explain why they brought these particular gifts. But I'm telling you today that these gifts were a fulfillment of, of prophetic, a prophetic understanding of who this Christ child was to be. And you know, this is the thing about scripture is that often it gives us the facts, just the facts. And for those of you that are willing to pause for a moment, uh, to pray and to ponder and to take your time, God reveals meaning behind the scripture. So we're going to pull it out um, gift by gift, gift by gift. And we'll start off, of course, with gold. And, and it's pretty uh, well known that this gold uh, is for a king. Kings received gold. You know, in the second chapter of Genesis, gold is very important because in the second chapter of Genesis, right after the story of Adam and Eve, it speaks of gold. Did you know that? It says this. It says, it says a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. That's the Garden of Eden. From there it's separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is much gold. Isn't that interesting? Second chapter of Genesis, and it's already speaking about the value of, of gold. So gold's been around for a long time. This is why they call it the gold standard, right? And it's a fitting gift for a king. The other thing is, is that in Hebrew, and I just found this out, there's actually seven words that, uh, for gold. Uh, we typically only have one, gold, right? We have bullion, I guess, right? Bullion can be gold. So we kind of have two. But in Hebrew, there's seven different words for gold. It kind of reminds me of the Eskimos with 99 words for snow, right? And the reason was is because that's what they've got. I mean, there's snow everywhere, so they can differentiate between different types of, of snow. When we were in, in Mexico, uh, there, there's over 55 different words for a mango. You know, here we have a green mango and a yellow mango. I mean, that, that's it. There's some mangoes that are a little prickly, but we don't even have names for them. They're just mangoes. But in Mexico, mangoes are such an important part of the diet that there's 55 different words for it. The fact that there's seven different words for gold shows you that in the Bible and in Hebrew, uh, gold, is, gold is important. And it's an important gift for a, a king. One of the things that's often referred to in gold is they say a talent of gold. Remember? A talent of gold. Well, a talent is a form of weight. It's, it's a measurement. It's about 75 pounds. So 75 pounds, if you do the math, I did it yesterday, 75 pounds of gold at today's price for gold at 16 ounces per ounce, 16 ounces and a pound of gold at 75 pounds is about a million dollars. A million dollars worth of gold. It said that, that Solomon received some like uh, 875 talents of gold. It's over a billion dollars. Over a billion dollars every year, and that was just his income in gold. Now remember that Solomon had a thousand wives. So a billion dollars worth of gold a year, that comes in handy, that comes in handy. <laughs> now gold is also, not only is it uh, gold is symbolic for a king, but also gold symbolizes divinity. And if you think about it, you know the golden calf that Aaron made, he made it out of gold, right? Idols were made out of gold. It was very precious. So you gave the very best in order to signify a divinity. After Solomon's temple was built, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with, with pure gold. All of the implements in the temple, the, 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 the dishes and the goblets and all of the candlesticks and all of those were fashioned out of gold. The front doors of the tabernacle were finished with, with gold. Now, we don't know how much gold the, the Magi actually brought, okay? You can speculate. That's what scholars love to do is speculate. One of the things also they speculate is what happened to the gold? 
And again, the speculation is, well, maybe they use it on the trip to, to Egypt. You know, maybe that was, it came in handy. Um, so, but we're just gonna leave that there. We're not sure exactly what, but the idea is that gold is a great gift for this Christ child because it signifies that he's royalty. It's the gift for a king, but he's also divine. Next one is frankincense. Now frankincense is what the high priest used on the Day of Atonement. He was the one that brought the frankincense into the altar. Uh, frankincense is a, a white resin, it's a gum. Uh, it's obtained from a tree in the same way like maple, maple syrup is. They kind of cut little grooves in a tree and the sap comes out and it becomes, it becomes frankincense. It's very highly fragrant. Uh, it can be burned. It can be turned into an oil, a liquid. And frankincense was, was key in any sacrifice to God. It was a key uh, fragrant uh, aroma that was burned in the temple as an offering to God. Um, you know, it's interesting. In Exodus, the Lord said to Moses, he said, gather fragrant spices and mix these fragrant spices with Pure frankincense, weighed out in equal amounts to produce a pure and holy incense. You must treat this incense as most holy. It's, not, it's reserved for the Lord. You must treat it as holy. So this idea of frankincense, it's, it's to, a, to the high priest. It's somebody that's going to offer sacrifices and be able to atone for, for sins. It's, it's symbolic that Jesus Christ was the, was the high priest. You know, Hebrews actually says that. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7, it says, therefore he, that means Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. You know, the problem with the high priest is that he was separate. He, he couldn't relate to the people. He didn't dress like the people. He didn't associate with the people. Nobody could go and just ask him a question. He just kind of did his priestly duties. But Jesus, a high priest, was like us. The Bible says that he, he was tempted like we were. In fact, in chapter 4 of the same book of Hebrews, it says this. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but yet without sin. Let us then go with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You know, when something happens, when you stumble and fall, when you fall into that sin that you keep on saying you're not going to do again, when you say something and the Holy Spirit kind of quickens you that you shouldn't have said that, run to Jesus. Now, for me, it's not so the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's my wife, right, telling me you shouldn't have said that, right? You shouldn't have said that. But... But that's okay. What we need to do is we run to Jesus. We don't run away from him. You want to run to him. He's our high priest. He's the one that we can go to. And this is what this frankincense that was given by the, the Magi to this Christ child signified that Jesus was going to be a, a high priest. Now, the third um, and last gift mentioned is also very prophetic, just like the, the other two, but in a different way. Myrrh. Now, myrrh is an embalming oil. It's what they use to bury the dead. Uh, it symbolized the crucifixion, the coming crucifixion, the coming burial, and the preparation of burial for the Messiah. Uh, for example, in the Gospel of John, remember, remember Nicodemus? 
Nicodemus back in the third chapter comes to Jesus and he's a Pharisee and he says, he says, you know, uh, what must I do? And, and Jesus says, you need to be born again, right? You need to be born again. And, and Nicodemus didn't understand, but G Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he comes after the crucifixion to prepare the body for burial. And it says, then there came Nicodemus, which at the first came by Jesus at night and brought a mixture of myrrh. There's that word. Myrrh with alloys, about a hundred pounds weight. And this was in preparation for, for burial. So this gift that the Magi brought to Jesus signified that he was going to, to die. He was the only man ever born in order to die. That was his purpose in life. He fulfilled his mission by dying on the cross for our sins. Now, myrrh is also used sometimes as a painkiller, uh, similar to a narcotic. In Mark 15, for example, um, the soldier puts a myrrh with a little wine on a sponge and gives it to Jesus on the cross. In the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's called gall. gall, But it's actually this myrrh mixed with, with wine. And it symbolizes bitterness. It symbolizes suffering and affliction. You know, in the, in, the, um, in, the, in the book of Revelation, you know how much I like prophecy. In the book of Revelation, there's seven churches, and there's seven letters to seven churches. And the, one of the churches, the second church, is the, the church at Smyrna. And the word Smyrna comes from this word myrrh. And if you read what Jesus says to the, seven, the second church, the, the church at Smyrna, he says, many of you are going to suffer persecution for 10 days. You're going to be suffer persecution and many of you will die. And this is the idea of myrrh. It symbolizes this, this agony, this, this, this suffering, this, this persecution. Now, with these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the Magi proclaimed that this was the Christ child. And he would fulfill these prophetic offices, these prophetic offices of, of being a high priest, of a king, and also that he would suffer and die. And that's where we get these gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But there's also another prophecy, and it's in your scripture, in, in your bulletin as well. It's in the book of Isaiah, and I love this. Isaiah writes, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and incense. Isn't that interesting? Gold and incense. And they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. You know, Isaiah, like many of the prophets, wrote what the Lord told him to write. It isn't that he understood, oh, this kind of refers to the Magi coming. No, no, no. He's just writing what God tells him to write. He's just fulfilling that office of a prophet. We have this benefit of 2,700 years of history. We can look back and see these words of Isaiah and we can say, Look, at this is, how it's, this is how it's fulfilled. This is how the gifts of the Magi of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were fulfilled in the Christ child because he, was our, he is our king. Uh, he, he was the high priest. That's what we just read in Hebrews. And he did suffer and die. That's why the, the, the myrrh was there as well. But I want to get to our application today. Um, and the application, actually, I'm going to go back and do this. Um, I want to get to the application. These, these magi followed a star in a prophecy. But the Bible says we have a much surer word of prophecy. We know who Jesus was. So the question is, what do we bring to, to Jesus? Well, you know the story of the little drummer boy, right? You know, brought this, brings what gift can I give? And he drums the drum and he brings, well, that's just a fairy tale. That's just a story. You know, it's a, it's a great story. I mean, it makes me kind of cry and tear up. And, you know, the big churches that we were in, they'd bring in like 40 drummers. Have you seen that? 40 drummers coming from the back of the, of the sanctuary and they're drumming their drums at, at Christmas time for the little drummer boy. It's, a, it's kind of exciting, but 
That's not it. So what gift do we have? I can't drum anyway. If we were in the Old Testament times, if we were in Old Testament times, there's all kinds of things that the Bible says that we're supposed to do. There's required feasts. There's circumcision. There's baby boys were to be presented in the temple. There were dietary restrictions. There's a Sabbath rest. There's feast days. There's a blood sacrifice. There's a wave sacrifice. There's a grain offering. There's all kinds of things if we were in the Old Testament, but the New Testament's different. The New Testament has better promises because it's based on the grace and the mercy of God. It isn't what we do, it's what he's already done. So what do we bring to Jesus? Well, the Bible says that Jesus says, this is what he wants. He says, follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. He says, follow me. In fact, in calling his, his disciples, in fact, in the Gospels, Jesus says, follow me 13 times. 13 times. He says, follow me. And, the, you know, these two simple words were called Peter and Andrew and James. I've got the scripture here. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. It's Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. You know, the Bible describes believers, people like you and me, people that know Jesus Christ and honor him and made him the Lord of our life. He, they call us followers. That's what the Bible calls us. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus says, and I want you to be a Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the word Christian, and I'm happy to be a Christian. I'll die as a Christian if I have to. Uh, but here's the thing. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians. I mean, so much so that you know, I believe the born-again movement, remember that back in the 1970s and 1980s? That's what caught Carol and I up. The born-again movement. You were going to be born. We had a born-again president. I mean, people were born again. And I think part of the reason, there was a couple good reasons why this movement was so successful. One, it's biblical. You know, Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born again. That's the idea is that when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, uh, the Holy Spirit quickens us and we become born again. We become a, a new creation. That's what the Bible says. But the other reason it was so popular and took on is because the people that were part of this movement wanted to be different. They wanted to let people know that they followed Jesus, that they weren't like just anybody else that called themselves a Christian, that they, they meant it. I, I had a good friend that was a Catholic, a wonderful Catholic friend. And, and, and he says, well, I'm not like the other Catholics. I'm, I'm Orthodox. And, and what he meant was he was born again. He was, he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He called himself Orthodox, meaning he was, he was the right way. I said, you know, you're going to confuse people because they, they're going to think you're Greek. And, you know, but he's not, he wasn't Greek. But he, that's what he was saying. He was different. He wasn't just all those other people. To follow Jesus means that we follow where he leads. Now, we know what it means to follow, right? I mean, if you walk along Waterside today, Water Street today, you'll see a little duck little duck with their ducklings, and the mama duck will lead, and the little ducklings will do what? They will follow, right? And the mama ducks knows where to go, so they follow. She leads, they follow. It's the same way with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, I want you to come after me. I want to lead. In fact, this is exactly what he says. Jesus says, then Jesus said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, those are those words. To come after means you're following. 
Come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is a man who, if he gains the whole world and himself, destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and in his holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus wants us to follow him. When Jesus was accused by some of the uh, Pharisees and some of the Jews to prove that he was actually the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never... And that's a pretty good deal. You follow Jesus, he gives you eternal life. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's John chapter 10. You know, all of the 12 disciples were given the, the request from Jesus to follow me. Uh, there were also 72 others. In uh, Luke chapter 10, there's a story of 72 that are also commissioned by Jesus Christ to go out and, and to be able to preach the gospel. And Jesus says this, he says, the harvest truly is great, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. You see, one of the things about following Jesus is sometimes he'll send you out send you out. You know, of all the people that follow Jesus, there is a story. It's actually a sad story in the Bible of a person that was asked by Jesus to follow me, and he did not. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Jesus says, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Uh, so he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, or oh, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A good summary of all of the commandments having to do with our relationship man to man, man to woman, okay? Person to person, not relationship to God, but how do we treat people? The young man said to him, all of these things I've kept my, since my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And here's where it turns tragic. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. You know, this is a, a familiar passage, and it's pretty tragic from my perspective that the young man actually turned away. This was the same thing that Jesus offered his disciples. This young man had an opportunity to be an apostle, a disciple, somebody that would follow Jesus. What a, what a great honor, but he, but he went away. Now, many preachers that teach this point out that it's not about all the good things that the man did following the law, uh, that it's really about grace and mercy, which is true. But don't miss the obvious. Don't miss the obvious that Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Give it to the poor. You see, to follow Jesus means we follow where he leads. To follow Jesus means that we do what he says. You remember the, the, the bracelets we used to wear that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, they, they go a long way back. I think 40 years ago, my wife and I sold them in our store. I mean, it was so long ago. Those were perfect. That's what it means to follow Jesus. What would Jesus do? Go and do the same. See, that's 
That's theology. That's, that's wonderful theology. I mean, there's two, there's two things in theology I like. It's, it's uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> that's great theology. And the other one is, what would Jesus do? If you know those two things, you've got it down better than most. What would Jesus do? See, that's amazingly appropriate as a, as a gift for the king. If you've never accepted the call of Jesus, then he speaks to us and says, follow me. I challenge you. I embrace you. I implore you to accept that call. To understand, there are many, many people that call themselves Christians because somewhere along the line, they ended up in church and they find it's a pretty cool place to go. Uh, they got baptized when they were little kids. When we lived in Mexico, everybody was a, everybody was a Christian because everybody was Catholic. They all got baptized as a baby and then they went back to church when their daughter got married, right? I mean, that, that was it. That was it. The churches were empty. I spent, I spent a number of years in Europe, beautiful cathedrals that are, that are empty. Many people in Europe call themselves Christians. What they mean is they're not Muslim, they're not Jewish, they're not a Hindu. They must be something. They call themselves Christian. But Jesus calls us to follow him. If you're looking for a gift for the king, I suggest you take that seriously. You know, some that choose to follow Jesus will have the wonderful opportunity to enjoy family and friends, to have a nice long life, to live in a nice house with a picket fence, in every way to really live a, a blessed life. But there are those that follow Jesus, that Jesus calls to the mission field, that Jesus calls to suffer persecution, even martyrdom for his sake. We need to be prepared, but that's what it means to to follow Jesus, to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in the kingdom of God, to sacrifice creature comforts for the creator of the universe. That's a pretty good deal, right? You give up some creature comforts in order to honor the creator. And here's the thing. Here's the bottom line. Bottom line of my sermon today. Jesus says to those who follow him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And then he closes and he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the gift we give Jesus, and that's the reward we get as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. We thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.